Welcome back to the newest episode of Amateur Hour with Jordan Perez. I'm back this week to give you a bit of a pregame for the U.S. Senior Women's Amateur back after its hiatus last year due to COVID and with one of its very familiar faces here for this episode. I had the pleasure of chatting with Ellen Port, yes, Ellen Port herself, seven-time USGA champion who reeled me into her decorated amateur golf career with some great stories along the way about life and her late start in golf making history at the Metropolitan Senior Amateur as the first woman ever to win that event. Such a dope story. And what her career as an educator, golf coach, and even Curtis Cup captaincy has taught her. Her resurgence in the amateur game this year is a fascinating story, and I'm so thankful she gave me a peek at an awesome life in golf and just who she is as a person. She's so funny, she's so chill, and I'm really excited to bring you guys this episode. So without any further delay, here's the conversation we had. One thing I really loved about your win at the Metropolitan was your reaction to it, that the trophy didn't know who was holding it, uh, never mind the modifier of you being a female golfer. Uh, your intent was to challenge yourself. And I just wanted to know, when you're in that process and you're making those process goals, what's your mindset? Can you elaborate a little bit on that? Um, deep down, what I loved about that win too is it, very rarely am I in that place where I know, like, I know I can, I could shoot a good number and I could win that, you know, because it's my home course. I shot lots of good numbers. I, my goodness, I birdied every hole, you know, on that golf course over the last 32 years, you know, not all in one round, but I birdied every hole. And so to, but to be able to then say, okay, but all that's important, if I, I want to do my best and give myself a chance, I have to stay in the present. I have to. My, my, I, I'm a big fan of a um, guy named Jason Selk who wrote a book called 10-Minute Toughness, and I've actually met him. And uh, he wants you to have, like, a performance statement, uh, just like what's the one thing your coach would say or you would say to help you play good golf. And I've recently gone back to um, Steve Johnson, who is a – worked with Hank Haney, was his assistant, and I worked with Hank pre-Tiger, and then Tiger came along, and I laugh and tell Hank Tiger that Tiger stole stole Hank away from me, although we're still very good friends, and he, Steve's been helping me get my game back, and uh, and Hank has joined in as well, but I said, Steve, what, you know, what would you tell me to do, and in, in our time together, he's like, you are responsible for yourself, you know, this one shot crystallize the shot you want to hit and then and you hear this from people all the time I was I was just I just had gotten lazy in this stuff when you play casual golf and you don't compete a lot and you're a little I just got lazy with that type of thing crystallize the shot do I want to hit a draw do I want to hit a fade he made me get back into that do I want to hit a knockdown do I want to win it high and 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 execute it crystallize what you want to do do one good rehearsal because i i'm a feel is so important for me and step up and swing to completion you know trust it you know and that's kind of what i did on every shot and the one time i didn't do that there's really only one time in two days i didn't do that i felt like we were behind and we were playing slow i'm used to playing so fast on my home course and it was so slow the first day and i was like okay come on come on come on and i'm like i'm not ready i said i really want to hit my 
four. I really shouldn't be hitting this three hybrid because if I pull it, I'm in the trees. Just take one less club. And I'm like, no, no, no. I'm just going to hit it. I'm just going to hit it. And I blocked it into the trees. My mind is so strong. I mean, if I have a thought about something, it's going to go there. I mean, seriously, I've missed a two-foot putt, and I've thought about missing it. I literally stood there and said, oh, yeah, no, you haven't missed one of these in a while. You could probably. I'm like, oh, my gosh, back away from it, and I missed it. So back to the process. It's it's just crystallize what I want to do. I'm responsible for that. That's the one thing i got to take ownership and responsibility, make a good rehearsal, and go. And if I do that, then I can live with myself. You know, I'm pretty hard on myself when I mentally screw up, you know, and so it starts in your mind. And so that's really what I did really, really well for two days. I didn't think about when, and I think, and I had so many putts that didn't go. I had like two eight footers for birdie, a 10 footer, and, and I didn't dwell on it at all. I've just said, Hey, I'm rolling the ball so good. I just overread a little, da, 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 real positive self-talk. So I don't know. That's a long answer to your question. I, I hope I covered it. You mentioned some missed opportunities. When did some of those occur for you? It was both days. Okay. I actually played as good on that first day. At my 72, I had so many chances. But I really had that second day. I hit, I hit a five hybrid to eight feet on this long par four. And I had a I had a 10-footer eight to win it on 18. I didn't know it was to win it. But I hit a great shot right at the flag there. And then I had I had another a, another really, you know, you know, you know I was going to make your eight-footers. But I hit a lot of really good shots. Um, but I did make a couple good par saving putts too on that round. I didn't make them for birdie, but I made like a six footer on 17 to save par, you know, so it, it kind of balances itself out. But, um, yeah. So, anyway. Yeah. And I mean, the fact that it was in a playoff, it's even cooler. I, I love it. Oh no, that was cool. Yeah. That was super fun. I say, I've never watched anybody. And the other thing I've never done that really helped me, Jordan, is that, I had played – I actually missed the darn deadline to play in the senior north and south because it's way early in June and the tournament's in August. And I love that tournament, and I went to register, and I, I couldn't do it. I wouldn't let me in. And I'm like, oh, my God, I just missed a deadline for the first time in my life. I can't believe I did that. And I said, I'm actually – I said, well, I'm at, I said, i got to find something to play in. Well, then I saw that there was another Normandy amateur, which I've played in before, is a men's tournament. And it was the Saturday and Sunday before this Tuesday-Wednesday tournament. And I have never played tournaments that close together my whole career. It's always like play a tournament and then you don't have anything else for another four weeks, you know, or I might get one, two tournaments in the same month if I'm lucky. And that's hard to do. You know, that's one of the things I've always not liked about being an amateur and my working, having kids, doing whatever is I could never string together tournament rounds. I said, if I could ever play three or four weeks in a row and, like, get the jitters out, remember the dumb mistakes I make, get whatever, get some momentum, I said, I could be dangerous, you know. (laughs) Because that's what you do when you're on the tour, right? Well, I didn't choose to do that, so I didn't get to do that. I didn't play college golf. I didn't play junior golf, and you can play every day in a tournament, right? And so – I played back-to-back tournaments, and I didn't play great at Normandy, and I made dumb mistakes. I underachieved, I, and I finished fourth in the men's tournament there on a hard golf course. And so then I got to try do it again. On Monday, I went out next at a public range, and I worked my rear off and then teed it up Tuesday and Wednesday. 
and did really well. And so I was really excited that I got to play, you know, back-to-back tournaments because that makes a difference, you know, I think. Um, I, and I, I took pause and I said, you know, I haven't really ever gotten to do that. I've never played two tournaments this close together, and I, it was really good. So I want to dive into your life before you picked up golf because I know you did in your mid-20s um, after you had gone to University of Missouri and had been playing tennis there. But was that your primary passion? I mean, what were you into pre-golf? Yeah, um, let's see. Yeah, I was always a very good athlete. So I, that's all I, I grew up competing and swimming, you know, at our little swim club that we had. It wasn't a country club. but uh, And, uh, you know, just whether it was hide and seek or chasing the boys, it was everything was a competition. <laughs> so I just loved, I was you know, your typical tomboy out there loving to be outside and excelling in sports and junior high and high school and basketball. Is, I probably love basketball the most, to be honest with you. And um, so played basketball, tennis, you know, ran track. And uh, my dad, and, you know, in later life he played golf. So I was exposed to it. So it's kind of interesting. People say, when did you start? I don't really count start until I was 25, although dad, played golf, probably had my brother and I up, oh, maybe once or twice when we were kids to do a clinic, maybe at the at the golf course. So I knew about golf. You know, I didn't, never had my own set of golf clubs. So it's funny. I And, um, and then I actually got hurt running track my maybe junior year, and the golf coach, the boys' golf coach, was a friend of my dad's uh, up at this course up in Liberty, and he said, oh, Ellen, you need to come play with the play golf. And I said, okay. So I had no idea. Like, I didn't have my own golf clubs. I took dad's. So I did have a little bit of taste about it. But that was in, you know, I was, what, 16. And so then I never touched a club again until I came to St. Louis to teach school, moved, and just um, had an extra set of golf clubs in the basement. So I took took those and came to St. Louis. Yeah. So it was just just growing up, I was just a competitor. Just loved to compete and and, you know, had a lot of success around the Northland area, North Kansas City. What was going through your head while you made such a rapid ascension? You'd quickly made some Curtis Cup teams, but what were you making of all of that success at the time? Um, yeah, you know, it's in- I, I didn't have it, it. It was interesting because I was pretty clueless about golf. I didn't know much about. I didn't know any events that were out there. And so when I first started playing and guys that knew about golf um, and saw me swing and saw my natural ability, they were like, oh, my gosh, you could be so good at this if you play. So I signed up for the ladies' leagues. You know, pub, I taught school, so in the summer is all I do would play. And so I, I didn't know the rules. I remember it was funny. I remember playing in a Metropolitan. And I didn't even know what a provisional ball was in the one count. Now that I know, we actually waived a rule because I hit two balls over these trees and they were like a from each other. And she's like, which ball was which? And I said, well, I don't know. What do you mean? And she said, oh, don't worry. Just hit that one, you know, because they were right by each other. And now I'm like, oh, my God, we just broke a rule. But it was in such I was such an innocent kind of like newbie with all this talent, no clue. I think it was probably refreshing for people you know they saw the talent in me before I saw it myself all I knew was I wanted to get better 
And um, I wanted to know why I didn't, you know, why I missed shots, why I didn't hit those well. And so I took, you know, so it was just kind of, I was just young, you know, to, to the game. And just every year I got better and I learned more about the game. And you know, I remember going to a women's western, this one pro, Terry Hauser, had a driving range down by my house and I'd go down there. He saw I had talent. So he said, Hey, you know, he started working with me and he gave me a great deal on all the balls I could hit in a summer, which, you know, we were poor. You know, my husband and I were, I was a school teacher. He was just getting started. So it's like little things like that. That's really great. You know, all little people, I mean, people along the way have been so kind to me. And he's the first one, Terry Hauser, who said, um, you need to start playing and you got to play catch up because everybody else has been playing. For growing up and you didn't, you know, compete. So I said, okay. So I remember going to a women's Western and seeing the whole driving range, all gals, all with really good swings. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, these guys all are, you know, cause I hadn't really even seen like a woman, a better college player or anybody. So I had to see what was out there. And then I was, that was my standard. I'm like, okay. So I missed the cut in my first Western and I'm like, I can get better. So the next year I made the cut. But miss lost my first match. And the next year, I got to the quarterfinals. You know, so I had like this credible non-golf-like improvement where every year there was like a significant improvement, a milestone, you know. So it was a really, now that I know so much about golf, I'm like, that was really unusual, you know, really. So that was, it, I was just so new and People, I got had so many, much encouragement along the way, but I do remember when I said, oh, my God, look at all these good players, you know. It was just like, oh, my gosh. I remember getting beat by uh, Carol Simple Thompson. It was so funny because, you know, everybody knows Carol. And I was – I made match play, and I don't know what it was, whether it was a Western. It was one of the big three. There was, like, the Western and the trans and the Broadmoor that I was eligible to for. So I just had to learn even what's out there. and. I played Carol and she beat me like six and five and six and five or something. And I was, but my, but I went away thinking, okay, I can get as good as her. I didn't play that bad. I, I can do this. You know, so I, I had to kind of measure myself up against everything. And then my, uh, the one guy that Terry Hauser who first started saw my natural ability and how I kind of kept getting better. He said, you know, you should try to get on a Curtis Cup. And I didn't even know what the Curtis Cup was. So it was pretty funny. So anyway, that's a little, that gives you a little bit of a flavor for kind of getting into it and not really knowing a lot, but just, to, you know, every year getting a little better, learning a little more. Yeah. When did the magnitude of those career stops actually set in for you? Because I mean, starting out when you did and playing a women's western and then yeah the curtis cup those are pretty big deals yeah yeah you know i never want to kind of think about the magnitude of anything because i'm so into the process and i don't look back because i always want to get better and i'm always just like okay i did that but what do we have going next you know it's like it, so it wasn't it wasn't ever really i never really thought about it like that it was a big deal or it was a magnitude it was just like all I know is I, I I'm enjoying the journey I'm, I love learning about this game I love getting better and um and competing you know and so yeah and, and looking back I, it's like what I said looking back I'm like wow that was that was pretty you know unusual and that was pretty big deal to be 
you know, start the game so late. And of course, I'll be the only one that starts. That's what I always said. There'll be no one else that starts really as late as I did and ever make a Kurtz Cup again because it's, I was just before the big golf boom, you know, with all the young kids. And, uh, I just, it's, it's timing's everything, right? So I just feel like I really was fortunate to, to get in and still be able to be a true amateur and, and working and not playing as a kid. Because when I played, most of those bigger tournaments were half and half. It was half mid-ams and old people, old seniors, and then just some kids. And now it's like all the kids, you know, <laughs> and then a few of us sprinkled in there. So I kind of got to see the whole evolution of this new breed of golf and young kids playing. And, um, you know, it's, it was because when I played the Curse Cup, it was half and half. It was like four mid-ams and, and, or seeing, you know, and four young kids, you know. So I kind of got, I call it the good old days. It was just kind of when, it was just kind of a really good time to grow up or for me to enter the golf scene. Um, yeah, so that gives you a little backstory. When you were running through that course, you mentioned staying present, but how did you strike the balance of starting a family, golf, and teaching? Yeah, yeah. So let's see. I, um, I remember. I think we got. I actually got pregnant <laughs> during the Curtis Cup. I think so. And then I was working, and it just. I and it was good. It was good because we really waited. A, not I. Not even really intentionally, but we were having so much fun with the golf. We, we didn't have kids till eleven years, so I started playing golf, and then every year or something neat happened. And so I was just kind of caught up in that. And then I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm 35 years old. I better get with it. You know, so then we started our family, and I'm still working. But, um, you know, I had summers off, and I have a super supportive husband. And so, you know, he enjoys golf, and he enjoys seeing, being a part of, of the. He, you know, we're friends with all the people we play with. And so it was kind of something we did together. And then he just always told the kids, you know, and I didn't play a whole lot. You know, I played my four or five tournaments a summer I've always so I've always had to kind of you know put I won't say put the clubs up but resurrect my game again come May June you know to September and um I just didn't ever get burned out because I loved it I didn't play every time I got to play I remember I'd go to a tournament and I'd been working having my kids and I'm like okay I'm here I get two I got two days before the tournament I, I'm gonna I get to hit a lot of balls and I'll, I'll figure it out, you know, and you just kind of show up and you're just so thankful to be there. I think that was probably a good thing for me in a lot of ways that now that I'm retired and the kids are out of college, I can compare and contrast. And so I can flip it and go, now I really enjoy it because I don't have to rush home after an event. I don't have to rush to an event. I don't have to feel guilty that I'm there, even though they never made me feel guilty. I mean, Andy was always like, mom's going, we're a team. They always were so excited. Never made me feel bad for going. You know, some of my friends were like, my daughter's crying because mom's leaving again. And, you know, we never had any of that. And I think it's because my husband did such a great job of just, you know, saying, hey, this is a team thing. We're all in this together. But it was, it was, there were days when it was, took a takes, I look back now and I'm like, how in the world did I do that? I mean, now that I'm doing it, like, I'm a look back person. I'm like, oh God, I guess that really was pretty crazy. How in the world did I do that? You know, so it is, it's, I've kind of come full circle. You talk about a sort of team element between you and your family, but what's that support system meant to you throughout your career? Um, well, I wouldn't have a career if it wasn't for that. So, uh, that's, 
that's what it means to me. You know, I wouldn't be doing it if it wasn't 100% on board because, you know, that's one of the reasons why, even though people ask why I didn't turn pro, and I think Andy and I, we never even talked about it. And I have no doubt that I would have been successful because I am so driven. And um, I just I just knew that I didn't want to I'm selfish enough without it being all about me at the next level because when you play professional golf, everything has to kind of revolve around you. You know, I hate to say it, and it's hard for a woman raising kids. And since I'd already been working before I started really playing, I kind of I liked my job, had balance in life, and uh, you know, if I had come out of college playing, then it might have been a completely different story. But because of the way, you know, golf entered late, um, you know, I wouldn't really have this career if it wasn't. Back to your question, if, it, if I didn't have my, you know, family and my the support of my kids. And, you know, my mom even had junior membership. You know, we couldn't afford to, you know, when I was playing, I was like, oh, I got to go down and hit balls, you know. So anyway, I just I just have had a lot of support from my family, which has been great. And uh, yeah, so anyway, I'm rambling a little bit, but you got the gist of it. You got the gist of it. I want to dive into some of your teaching and coaching a little more. You coached high school sports and then you did collegiate golf for a little bit. What was the most important thing that you learned in being both an educator and mentoring people? Oh, let's see. Well, you just, I think one of the things I always try to do is find out the level of interest, um, of every kid I coach, like it was it the, and then how to motivate them. You know, you, you, not everybody who I was coaching was going to, most of them weren't going to be collegiate athletes, but to let them and see the, for me with golf and sports, just the value of it, you know, not necessarily in the win, but giving your best. And then the lessons that you learn, um, you know, I just look, I'm kind of a big picture gal, you know, you just want to, you just, teach them to follow their passion and, and you know we had a sports requirement at Burroughs when we when I played sports so there's a lot of people that were out there that didn't really want to be playing you know it's a highly academic school and so you you had to strike the balance of not thinking that it's being super competitive but yet what are the what are the blessings what are the lessons that you can learn through working as a team being on a you know being in a sport and and how how does it apply to your life and so that's that's kind of you know, what I always would try to, when given a teachable moment, talk to the kids. But I, I've always been fortunate to work around really motivated at John Burroughs School and Wash U. Those kids are so sharp, so motivated, um, so geared towards serving and community service. And they're just, I mean, I was the one that learned more from them probably than they learned from me in a lot of ways. <laughs> you know, it was just, uh, it was a neat, neat, neat two places that I got to work. You talk about learning. Is there a memory that stands out to you that influenced you either as a golfer or a person? Oh, gosh. There's probably just a ton of them. Um, no, I, I just have I just have funny stories. So, you know, one time, one of the memories that I have uh, that it did influence me, again, it comes from Carol. I tell Carol that you, there's so many things I laugh about and learn from you. It's one time I had played match play and I, 
I think I got beat in the second round, and I it was one of those matches where I think I did I, I beat myself, where it's like I just made a lot of mistakes, and I think as a golfer that's a lot hard that's hard to deal with, especially when you're a competitor. And I didn't grow up playing golf, so I had to kind of I told people I kind of acted like a junior golfer when I was 25 and 30 because I didn't I, I did I just was like oh my gosh. I can't believe I lost that, and I was going to – I was so mad. I just was going to – it was up in Minnesota or somewhere. I was like, i got to go home. I'm just going to leave. I'm not going to stay and watch anybody or say bye or anything. And I turned around – I got in my car, and then I said, Ellen, that is so ridiculously immature. So I went back and uh, started talking to everybody, and Carol happened to be on the putting green. I'm like, Carol, she's mislevel. I'm like, why don't you get upset or something when things don't go well or mad or something and she said why do I get so like this or I can't remember how I phrased it she just basically said Ellen you just haven't lost enough you know (laughs) and I just thought that was so funny because in golf you eventually I mean you lose way more than you win and you have to learn how to deal with that you know you're not gonna go out and play your best you know most of the time you don't you know and like I'd be old man par in that men's tournament but most of the time you know you get a lot of play real well and sometimes you don't so I just always thought that was such a great great lesson that you know you just haven't lost enough because you've got to get beat down a little bit to realize you know this game is awesome and it doesn't owe you anything and you've got to you know respect it respect the people not be too hard on yourself and um but when you're a competitor you know I listened to a clip oh my gosh I had I don't know if I'd seen it in a while have you ever seen the clip when Curtis Strange is interviewing Tiger yes. in his first tournament and Tiger's saying that he's going to win it or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. And you remember Kurt, how Curtis was with that? Yes. <laughs> I watched that the other day because it just popped up and I'm like, oh my gosh. And it's like, I'm not putting myself up with Tiger Woods, but I think I was naive enough to just think, even when I wasn't any good, I was like, well, I can go, I can do this, you know, why not? Let's go, you go, you, you play to win, you play to do your best. Why doesn't that happen, you know? So, <laughs> I mean, in, in tennis and in basketball and all my other sports, you could try harder, and a lot of times you could force it, make it happen. Oh, my God, golf, you can't do that, you know, and, and I'm – way hype you know energetic aggressive and then I try to pull back and sometimes you pull back like I did today I tried to probably play too casual not casual but not be too go get it and then look what I happened you know I should have been way under par and I wasn't so you just have to strike that balance but that memory always stands out to me because my mind remembers pictures of stories you know and and that was just a real good lesson for me to learn you know Speaking of not losing enough, I want to talk more about your seven USGA championships, which in itself is remarkable. But if you had to pick one out of all of them, which one meant the most to you? The next, uh, no, you know what? I, someone asked me that again. You know, the fir- well, the first one's great because you wonder if you're ever going to do it. And, and I did it at Essex. And Andy was there, and I just he he tells me how many birdies I I think I started out one match like with six birdies and an eagle, and I just played super good there. But then, you know, I was pregnant with Drew when I defended at Mission Hills, and that was cool, you know. And then my defending at Cordoval, my father-in-law just died, and I was just he was like a dad to me, and I should have probably even gone, but we moved the you know, funeral to later. So that overcoming that was huge, you know, because that was a hurdle. 
And um, so I don't know. They're, they are all so up there, you know. Um, but I think that first one is always really important because so many good players never win one. And um, I'd worked so hard um, on my game and had had a lot of, you know, had success, but hadn't had that first, you know, USGA championship. So, uh, you know, that was, that was a good one. That was, that's probably, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm shooting for another one. So that'll be the best one mm-hmm. once I get that one. <laughs> See, I can, you can just say that each one of the championships, there's just something that makes it unique. Cause like I won the mid-am when I was, I just turned 50 and it was the longest span between wins. I beat Carol's record of 11 years because I won in 2000, I think, or 1999. I won the mid-am. And then I, then I had kind of a slump when my kids were little. You know, I just was really, I don't know, it was just hard playing. I didn't win anything. And then I had just missed playing in the senior by a week. I really wanted to go back. The senior was going to be at the honors cut course where the Curtis Cup was in 1996, which is one of my all-time favorite courses. And I missed it by a week. I didn't turn 50 until the week after. I had to qualify to get there. I, my 10-year exemption had run out. So I qualified and then I won it. And I couldn't, so I mean, it's so anyway, it is just every one of my, my wins has something super meaningful, um, to them. So that's that story. When you're dealing with adversity or let's just say being pregnant and winning a USGA championship, like you did in 95, like the rock star you are, what does it take to adjust your competitive mindset in the middle of something like that? Yeah. Um, I think it's just, it always ends up being about narrowing your focus. And so, um, and sometimes, you know, sometimes it's easier to focus than others. I remember I was interested to listen to Phil talk about how he couldn't focus. And I'm like, oh, that's me. I can't focus, you know, and that's, I mean, believe me. But I can now. I've been playing better, and so I'm focusing better. But I don't know. I just think you just um, – I think once you get inside the ropes, to be honest with you, I'm able to shut down a lot of stuff that's going on. So if, if there is adversity, it's just like my happy place. You know, it's our happy place. It's like for this four hours, I'm just going to be able to play this silly game <laughs> that I think really matters. And I'm going to try to do the best on every single shot. And I don't have to worry about anything else. And that's all I have to worry about and have fun doing it in this beautiful venue. Usually it's beautiful outside. And so I think it's just that piece, the piece that I think you find in real. And then this just for this moment, I'm in a bubble, you know, and I'm not world isn't all the like, God, there's so much awful stuff going on right now. And here you win this tournament, get this attention. And then all these, you know, we lost 13 servicemen, you know. And so I just think you just, so that's kind of my answer to that question is I just don't, it's, I, once I step in, it, I usually in a tournament like that, I, I just say, this is, this is the four hours that I can just do what I love to do, what I'm good at doing, what I need to get better at doing. I'm going to test myself. And that's kind of how I, it just seems like I approach most of my competitive golf, most of my, even my golf, even my fun rounds. I mean, it's just like, okay, I don't have to worry about the laundry or the stress or what's going on at school or whatever. I'm going to go walk nine holes and lose myself in it. Playing at the highest level with the experience you've had, does winning get any easier? 
Um, well, you can't think about, I think about that sometimes because it'll elude you if you want it, want it. If there's such a fine line, because if you think about it or obsess about it or say you really want to do it, um, it's just hard to win, period. It doesn't get any more hard. It is just remarkable to think that you win, especially a USBA event when you're playing two practice rounds, two qualifying rounds, and six matches, you know. It's a marathon, and so you're just like, how in the world do you do it once, let alone twice? I remember Judith, a couple of my friends, were like, how did you do this seven times? I'm like, I don't know. You just do what I just said. You step in your bubble, and you go, and you do the best. You train really hard. You get yourself as good as you can and hope that you can execute, you know. And um, so, yeah, you know, it, it winning's hard, period. But you can't, can't look at it that way. You just have to say, hey, it's one winning is one shot. You know, and then the next shot, and then the next putt, and then the next shot. And you just don't think about it. And then you look up one day, all of a sudden, you're like, oh, my God, I just did that. I just won that. Wow. It's like you come back out of, you know, up for air. Hey, me again. <laughs> Thanks so much, everyone, for tuning into this week's episode with Ellen Port. She's a legend, and her story's nowhere near over. Definitely check out the written component on thefirepitcollective.com. There's a few unique nuggets in there from those in her life who were awesome enough to chime in on their relationship with her and just different elements that um, we included in the written part. So stay cool, stay great, and I'll see you guys on the next time on Amateur Hour with Jordan Perez. Bye!